Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Jordan Rothline from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, Red Bull Radio's podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. The duo Christian Rich have created some of the most progressive rap productions of the 2010s. Moreover, the Chicago-born twins haven't become an assembly line for similar-sounding beats. For a sampling of their dynamic range, listen to their work on two of Vince Staples' biggest songs, Senorita and Big Fish. The former is a lugubrious dirge of cavernous low-end and plinking keys, while the latter is a quasi-club track characterized by a rubbery bass line and glinting melodic flourishes. After producing tracks for artists like Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim in the early aughts, Rich racked up an enviable credits list with marquee rappers like Earl Sweatshirt, Drake, and J. Cole. Since moving to Berlin two years ago, Rich have continued that upward trajectory, producing songs for Jaden Smith and collaborating with Little Dragon and former Chicagoan Vic Mensa for Dripping Summers, which will appear on a forthcoming Christian Rich project. In this episode of Couch Wisdom, recorded at the 2018 Red Bull Music Academy in Berlin, Christian Rich discussed the stories behind their biggest hits, their approach to production, and the importance of creating a feeling with your music. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. I grew up with twins. I'm godfather to twins, so I have to ask the ultimate twin question. Who's the older one? He is Tao. Yes, there's two uh, two answers to that. In regular life, I'm older because I came out five minutes before him. In Nigeria, he's older because me coming out first means he told me to go look at the world. And I said it was okay because I started crying. That means I like it. And then he came out. Right. So, so, so it brings me yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I guess gets us right into um, one of our main topics here is... Um, home and origin mean very, very different things. We had a few people from Berlin already right now. You guys are living in Berlin here as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Almost um, two years now. Yeah, two years. Yeah. Almost. And I guess it's fair to say that you're part of a new Berlin that's not just gray and white and gray. <laughs> yeah, in a literal sense and other senses, yeah. Yeah, Berlin is, um, for us, it was just... Um, a move to be somewhere that was just a little bit outside of the noise of Los Angeles and New York, which we still do most of our business, but it's just, Berlin is just quiet for us. Although it's not quiet, it's quiet for us. But, yeah. Yeah, come on. Compared to LA, where you have to be in bed by two later so you don't miss yoga class? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) But LA is noisy in the sense of the business and what you have to take care of. Like, you have to really be super aware of what you're doing all the time. If you care to be in that world, do you have an Audi or do you have a Lamborghini? These are real things that you have to think of as an artist. People, I mean, it's, a Lambo is not a Lambo, there's it's levels, right? <laughs> it's right. levels. It's right, levels. it's gotta be a Murcielago or a Galado, it depends what you have, but yeah. yeah, here it's, you can indulge in that world as well, but you can also just walk down the street. You can go to Burkine and chill, whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, which we like to indulge in at times. Right. Very true. So you were born in Chicago, right? Yep. But raised in Nigeria. Moved back to, we moved to Lagos when we were four years old. Four to, I say Lagos is where we actually found the inspiration for music, really. So, yeah, but Chicago, yeah. 
I mean, there's a fair bit of music in both places. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, same rhythm, what well, different rhythm, but same creativity, inspiration. How important do you feel, because you're producing a lot of vocalists, and we get to that in a minute, yeah. uh, how do you, important do you feel that folks do actually understand what someone is saying? They don't. Like how, impo how important is it? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we had a conversation. Uh, he put me on to something a few days ago. Words are important, you know, but uh, feeling is way more important. He discovered with one of his friends that technically humans are not supposed to talk, really supposed to move with feelings. This is why you know how someone's feeling. If, even if they say something, you can see the feeling. So words are important, but the reason we can all feel music and connect is because that's how humans really talk, right? So words are important, but being humans, we can always see through the noise, which is the wrong words or the wrong message. You'll still see the feeling of that person. That's why you could like a Tupac where he's saying aggressive things and it's all, all the rappers that are talking about killing people or whatever, you can see the pain, you could, you could feel it. So the words are important, but uh, it's the rhythm and the feeling and the melody that's probably more important than anything. Like when we write, we go with melody first. Yeah. And then I read somewhere a few years ago, Kurt Cobain did the same thing. He didn't care about the words, he just liked the melodies first. And if you listen to like a lot of um, the songs he wrote, they penetrate more than just um, at the time grunge. He just kind of wrote in a very human, soulful way. So if you take, if you change, it's the same tempo as R&B or gospel. So for us, the melody is first, and then you can go back and tweak the words for whatever you want it to mean. So yeah. At the same time, you got to produce people like King Push without the T, who uh, <laughs> is um, probably one of the most audible guys out and yeah. enunciated guys out there. Yeah. Like no matter where, you can always hear every single syllable, if not letter. Yeah, that's what he's about. Like, yeah. Like Pusha's, Pusha T, I don't know if y'all remember, he used to be part of the clips. Him and his brother, they were like um, super lyricists in the world where, back in 2003, where it was really just about tip drill, with yeah. all that stuff Nelly had, which was dope, but you no, know, they, they were penetrating with some real stuff. And it's, he's still doing the same thing now. It's crazy. It's, um, it's a testament to if you do have important words, how long it can live, but, you know. Outside of melodies. Yeah, because yeah. he's not, his melodies are very, he's doing melodies, but it's just not as um, pronounced as a, like an R&B song or a pop song. So the words are more important in that scenario, I would say. So in Nigeria, we grew up uh, listening to Bali, watching Bollywood movies. So all the family would sit around, be like 30, 40 of us in our uncle's mansions. And we would watch Bollywood movies for hours. And everyone, we didn't know what the hell they were saying. We would just laughed. The music was so good. So I was dating someone at the time in college. Uh, she was at a, she, she's getting her uh, eyebrows threaded. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting at the... Uh, she made me go with her. Like, just sit with me. I'm getting my eyebrows done. I'm like, whatever, man. So I, I go there and I hear this sample. I hear that. Right, just a sample playing, and all the women there are Indian. And I said, what's that record? Oh, I don't know, some movie. You can go next door, they have all these movies, CDs, you can buy soundtracks. I said, what? So I went and found out the movie's called Kasor. And we, you know, we didn't have any records placed back then. And uh, I, brought, I showed it to him, he was like, yo, we should do something with that. 
chopped it up, looped it up, drummed on it, sent it out, Little Kim's record with Styles P. It's kind of fun how you went from like Biggie to Junior Mafia to Lil' Kim. It just went on. That, and all yeah. was, it was all one camp in the end. Yep. And tell them about Chimo Du. And then we just became good friends with Chimo Du, who's the guy that did all the photos for Tupac, Biggie. And he did the Junior Mafia album cover that song is on. He just did an exhibition here like two months ago or something. But you should look And he's up. Nigerian. And he's Igbo. He's Nigerian like us. Yeah, and we had a really good conversation yesterday about going back to Nigeria and doing all this stuff. So that's just dope. I was wondering, you had this hookup by this one guy, and I think it's a classic transition that a lot of people have to go through in their career, that someone gives them a leg up, gives them a break, and then at one stage you surpass them, and that somehow does weird things with the relationship at times. <laughs> we've surpassed exactly a lot of happened. people. Yeah. We've outlived a lot of people. Lord willing. Yeah. Um, but we've had, we had a moment after that, we moved to New York and we became bankers doing investments with Chase Bank, so it, you know, he had a short break. Yeah. But you know, we learned how to... We learned business. Stocks and yeah. investments and stuff. And you guys went to become investment bankers, and then the, you stopped at a time which suggests that Lehman's was probably a good thing for you. <laughs> Lehman's? Uh, you mean I got Lehman fired. Brothers? That's why I stopped. Um, oh. uh, when did we officially He actually stop? quit because of me. Uh, we were... Living in Atlanta, we had a house at 24 years old. I love saying that because that was funny to have that house, but we were part of the whole subprime sub subprime thing, right? So our interest rate was ridiculous. So it was you guys. Yes, we were part of it. We helped. We Sorry. weren't the bankers that we weren't the bankers. We were the guys that yeah had the house. So I got fired from a job for not doing compliance things. I wasn't paying attention, but it was the best thing that happened. Because we got fired, because I got fired, he was like, all right, well, I shouldn't work at the bank either. We should figure something out. And then he made this song called Famous Girl. And then we moved back to New York and then the next chapter started. Before we get there, yeah. seeing that you had your feet in both worlds, what is less realistic, billionaires or empire? Less realistic? Oh, the show. See, yeah. I, he doesn't watch Billions. You mean the show Billions? Yeah. He doesn't watch Empire it. is not it. realistic. Um, well, that, that <laughs> billions is. Sense. I didn't. We didn't play on that level. We were doing annuities and um, home equity loans and small investments. But billions seems pretty accurate. Empire is. Uh, to me, it's. I love everyone on the show because I know when they came up as uh, actors. But it's uh, a non-African or African Americans version of what African Americans go through in the music industry. And then the guy that wrote the show sat in the car one day and he said, it was a guy, it was a producer, I forget his name. He came up with a show because he heard Jay-Z or something on the radio and he thought about the beef between the East and West Coast back in the day, like Puffy and Suge Knight, and he decided to write that show. So it's coming off a really messed up premise. So, yeah, it's not the, show, the show for what it is, is dope for the actors, but for what it represents for our culture, It's not good, and it's not accurate. We're not going around shooting each other like that. It's crazy. Is, is it's Atlanta corny. doing a better job? Atlanta's doing a way better job, for Atlanta's sure. Atlanta's probably about 70% accurate, especially yeah. living down there. I think the part about the kids running up on each other and the violent parts are a bit exaggerated. But, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there. It's pretty. I mean, Donald is from on. Stone Mountain. Yeah. And I used to work at a bank called SunTrust in Stone Mountain. So Stone Mountain, Georgia, is a rough place. 
Some nice parts, but it's rough. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty accurate. But you shouldn't watch television if you want to know what African Americans are going through. <laughs> just, just hang with one. Headlines. Just, yeah. Don't hang with one. We're not a museum. We're just, not a museum. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, be friends with all cultures. Just study. Turkish people, Kurdish people, everyone. If you want everybody. to learn about people, just study and read. And just don't watch TV. TV's entertainment. That's what it's for. Yeah. It's sensationalized. So, yeah. Getting the sensationalist stuff out of the way, can you tell us about that Nike story? Oh, the shoes. Wow. That's him. So, growing up in Nigeria, two things we fantasize about. Name brand shoes, keyboards. We spoke keyboards into existence. We used to lie to our friends when we were nine years old in Nigeria that my father has a keyboard for us in America. And I remember it was Muiwa and Shegun. They, were, they lived next door. And they're like, yeah, right, your father doesn't have that, you don't have money, or whatever. So we get to America, and oh, shit, Pops really got keyboards for us, and you know, he really got anything we want. We're like, oh, okay, this is great. Also, we didn't have name brand shoes, we had Payless. I don't know if you know what that is, but Payless is like the lower version of sneakers, so. It's worse than Woolworth. It's worse than Woolworth, you buy sneakers for like 20 bucks, whatever, we would paint Nike signs on them. So, in, that's what Virgil does. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you're right. Wow. It's, you're right. Uh, yeah. It's funny because we know all his cousins because we're all from Chicago and we grew up with all his cousins. Anyway, different story. So when we were nine, ten, we really, even now, we know how to really draw well. That's why we design. And when I was nine, I really knew how to draw. Like, I can look at anything, draw it, look like an adult drew it. So... My father used to get Time Magazine, uh, and on the back there was Air Max. Obviously, I was fascinated with the Nike sign, like any design kid. So I traced the outline of the shoe. I remember it was Andre Agassi's shoe. It had like one, the, yeah, it had one strap that went across, yeah, and it had holes. And I said, man, that's dope. I should just design that, make it a high top, put two straps across. Apparently, I learned last year that Nike never had a two-strap technology. I created that without even noticing it. That's why Jordan had the two strap and the air raids. I was like, wow, that's crazy. So anyway, uh, designed them, looked on the back of a Nike box. I don't know where I got it from because we didn't own Nikes. Sent it to Portland and they sent the letter back, two different letters for two different shoes I drew. And they said, oh, um, thank you for your submission. These are nice, but keep submitting. We don't need these. And they sent the shoe back. Then we were, at this point, we were in sixth grade. This girl named Kanisha was running around a few months later. She had these shoes on, and I was like, that look like the shoe I drew. That's kind of crazy. I said, where you get those shoes from? She said, where? She's like, these are David Robinson shoes. I'm like, David Robinson? I made those. Of course, she didn't believe me, and I had to bring the picture to show them, like, look, this is my design. And, yeah, my pops didn't take it seriously, so that's that. Have you been invited back to Beaverton in the meantime? No, no, we can't find that letter, that can't picture, find the letter, that drawing. Yeah. yeah, And even if you did, they'll say they wouldn't, you know, statute of limitations. Right? I actually tried to have our lawyer go back, but there's a statute of <laughs> limitation on anything like that. But Yeah, but I guess seeing where they are, especially this week, this is a perfect jump off for them to, you know, give you a consulting contract. The Kaepernick wow. stuff? There you go. <laughs> they need it. Yeah. <laughs> They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Not, not vulnerable, but I mean, it's like it would totally fit the narrative. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. yeah that's, Let's call someone after this. Yeah, make some yeah. calls. In your trajectory, where, um, 
Pusher, who was mentioned before, yes. who has a bit of a Def Jam look as well, and John West. Oh, oh John West. Wow. That, I um, know this stuff. That story is crazy, crazy because we moved to LA. So I finally quit being a banker. He already got fired from the second banking job. That was the second one. Oh, I was like, fired twice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was working at Chase and then I quit. 2009, did, went to Chicago for like a year, then moved to LA. Didn't even understand what a publishing deal was so much. And then we run into this guy named John West, who's like a street performer. He just got a deal with Def Jam. And we uh, went to go meet his manager to do... Ben. Ben, yeah, ben, to go ben. do a mixtape kind of thing for DC Shoes. We had, like, some type of deal with them. And he gives me this acapella. It's like, can you... No, he gives me this song. And he's like, can you do something with this? I said, I think we can produce this song better. Take it home. Had a session, produced it, put strings and all that stuff on it. So Shay's our manager. We're like, yo, can you get Push on here? I think Push would be good for this song. Tell him we'll pay him... Excuse me. Tell him we'll pay him, we'll have him pay him 10K or something like that. Pusher gives the verse the next day. And John West's publisher at the time uh, is in the session. He's kind of being a dickhead. He's just kind of like, who are these guys? Uh, two weeks later, ben, the manager hooks us up. We end up becoming cool with his publisher. And then we sign with Warner Chapel, who is... So us signing with Warner Chapel is very important because that's how we got to work with Earl Sweatshirt. Right. And EP is first album. And Staples. And Staples because yeah. this A&R linked us with his A&R. So that's the pusher John West thing is very important because we just moved to L.A. We had some money from some other things we had before, but we were new in town. And that literally set the trajectory to a whole different place. Yeah. That song. Changed like, the brand. Definitely yeah, changed the brand. Yeah, made absolutely. It. We got... A little bit closer to how we wanted the brand to look. Yeah. So when we worked on um, Earl Sweatshirt's album, we were meant to just work on like two or three songs. And at the time, we were hanging out with the Neptunes a lot. So Chad was uh, someone we would actually hang out with a lot too. And when they asked us to do, I think like three or four days in the studio with Earl, he just got back from Samoa. His parents, his mom put him in this school because he was hanging out with Tyler. He was like, Doing that's a Earl, lot. not chat, just to yeah, Earl. Yeah, Earl. I'm sorry, that's Earl. Earl. Excuse me. Earl was coming back from Samoa and was hanging out with Tyler, and his mom didn't like what they were doing. A bunch of his mom is a scholar. People don't know that his mom is a law attorney at UCLA, so he comes from like a really good home. So, anyways, uh, he just got back and he was really trying to understand what's happening in music. They just got this crazy record deal at Sony, so I just felt that it made sense to have Chad Hugo of the Neptunes there because that's the sound. And, you know, we don't mind working with um, other producers, if, especially if it's a friend. So the first session, I'm going to make the story quick because it can be very long. The first session, there's a bunch of different people in there. Our early Vince Staples, who didn't have a record deal. He was just Earl's friend that was there to just help with some vocabulary and stuff or whatever. Um, Corey Smith, who ends up becoming Vince Staples' manager and now is, um, what's the guy's name? Oh, Dave, Dave Chappelle. Chappelle's manager. And then um, Kenna and a bunch, it's a bunch of relationships started from that session that we did. And um, shit, I forgot where I was going with this. There's so many things. Oh, so Earl and then Chad. So we had Chad come down and then Chad brings like a thousand keyboards down because he's just ready to get into the zone. And we're working on the music. And this song came about because Earl came up with the bass line 
and the piano, and I started doing the drums, and then we just started jamming out. And then this A&R came in like, yo, that's the first single. And I remember Chad started to play beats, and he played a beat that sounded like, dropped it like it's hot. And I was just kind of like, eh, that's not where we're going for. And then he pulled me to the side, like, Ty, I don't know what to get this kid. is. He's too monotone, he's too dark. And I was like, it's all good, just follow our lead. Because he's used to, like, you know, Chad is used to super thug. Pop, pop artists. Really. You know, Britney Spears, stuff like yeah. that. And he's a real musician. He plays almost every instrument. He can learn an instrument, like, in a week. Chad is, like, next level genius. So I think by the time we got to the end of this song, Chum, that same session, he started to un- kind of get in the groove. And then we were just jamming out. I, I was just pressing some chords on Logic. And then Chad started playing a lead on like a Moog or something. Trumpet, bass. And then he, he went in and went played in. the bass. And yeah. then he played the trumpet off key. And he just did all this stuff. And then I just kind of took it together and turned it into the outro. That outro. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a very... that. And then uh, we got Pharrell and Chad together for the first time as producers. And they did a song on that album called Burgundy. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that song itself is very vital to... A lot of stuff. Now. Yeah. How did you manage that sonically? Because I mean, a, a big part of that song, outside of uh, Earl's performance, is that Humpty Dump drum break, and then oh, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> we don't played that it. live in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> and then it goes into the, this <laughs> other drum. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I've been trying the, to hide the second half. Yes, it's all good. I didn't, the the part with Chad is um, Earl that's Earl drums. playing around how we hated those drums because they're like Logic stock drums. And we're like, ah, let's change you that. You knew that? When you heard that, you knew those drums? Only that many breaks, man. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, but yeah, but Earl, he's just playing around and we wanted to replace the drums and he was just like, nah, like, let me leave it. But actually, we tried to put Tom York on this song. And he was like, nah, 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 it's too pop. I want to go dark. So it worked either way. But yeah, we're just jamming. Well, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. I'm going to say. Nah, go ahead. No, 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 I'm messing no, with you. Go ahead. It don't matter. It's just you say, say whatever you want. Say There's whatever. no snapple, snapple no, snitching. Um, we're just sticking on the, uh, on, on the Earl thing because not only was it a, a pretty important trip, um, changing moment, and not only is he a great radio host, um, mm-hmm. as some of you might have heard out there, but um, yeah. I guess there's a there's there's a lot of changes they're going on at the same time. And as far as the content of what he's saying, um, how much, how do you deal with um, providing a carpet and then then people <laughs> for, for the the type of lyrics they say? Yeah, it's like I mean. Yeah, uh, I guess everyone heard what face. he was saying, but you strike me more like the "I want to count your freckles in the morning" kind of guys, <laughs> rather than what he's saying. Who us? Yeah. Um, we, uh, okay, so we're, we're, we have a lot of size to so us. So we're we're kind of those kind of dudes. I mean, we yeah. really we're from the hood. We're from Chicago, and we're from the hood in Nigeria. So yeah, we just um, we kind of know how to navigate in the world, in the business world. So yeah. you can't show the "fuck your freckles off the face" guy. You can't show that. Yeah, to navigate in the world, really. Yeah. Not that you can't show it; it just makes it harder. But um, well, if you look at, I, the, I would never. Real quick, I would never tell a woman that. Right. I fuck the freckles off your face. I would never girl, say that. I would say girl or lady <laughs> or young lady. I'm not trying know? to fuck the freckles off no one's face. I'm really? just trying to have a good time. But you know, if you look at the artists we work with, 
we don't really we would work with everybody, but you know when it comes to like uh, trap music, I would love to work with Migos and uh, Future and uh, what's that new kid? Skamebos, Kim Do I think, but. If you pay attention to the kind of hip hop we do, it's kind of like intellectual rap, but not purposely. I think the genius in Earl's is being able to take any subject and just turn it into this soliloquy of different different um, angles of the same kind of subject. So Riz is talking about fucking a woman or whatever, but then Earl's talking about how he's fucking over the label. He gets to do whatever he wants, but he's talking about a girl. So. His genius really comes in being able to see the 360 of one scenario. And he, you can see that through his whole career. It's like him. Uh, I think Earl Swesher sees, uh, <clears throat> I think Tebe sees lyrics. I think if, if language is linear, he sees it kind of like that movie Arrival. He sees it like it's all happening at the same time so he can see all the different parts. Yeah, the beginning and end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He knows the end result because he knows the middle because he knows the beginning. So he can attack it that way. Five points for metaphor there. There you go. Um, we were working on Earl's album and a mutual friend told me that Donald is a big fan of Earl's sweatshirt. So we were doing a whole Soho House thing in West Hollywood, hanging out. And I saw him, or maybe the friend introduced us, I don't know. And I knew what to say to him to just try to work on his music. I knew he was working on some new music. I wasn't really into what he did before, but we're the type that if we don't like what you did before, we're going to help you make it better. We're not going to gossip and talk shit about you. We're just going to help you make it better in our own way. So I told him, hey, we're working on Earl Sweatshirt's album. Come by the house and just come listen to it. And I didn't think he was going to do it. Text me like a week later, brings his whole crew to come listen to it in my car. And I'm playing it for them, they're just like, okay. And then a week later, they were renting out um, Chris Bosch, who's an NBA player, renting out some house in Pacific Palisades. This house was like on a hill, it's crazy. And he invites us over, we're playing a bunch of beats, and then that beat stuck out. The original version didn't have that 808, because he actually went in and co-produced it with us later, added the 808 and the choir. But the beat was there, and the, vocal, the hook was there. This girl named Kai, who ended up doing some dope records with Diplo and um, Flume. Flume and some yeah. other people. The story how I got her vocals is like so crazy. That was 2014. Every record we have has a crazy story. 2014, downtown Los Angeles. Uh, this one we were still roommates. In my kitchen, our kitchen, laptop out listening to Travis Scott. I said, this kid has a great energy. That's what I was saying, humans move by feelings. I heard the feeling of his music and I said, I want to make a trap record. And I made that. The original version had like uh, piano chords on there. And anytime we do beats, like I'll start a beat and I'll send it to him. So I, I told him, listen to this beat. And he heard all the chords and he was like, take the chords out, just put the boom, put, just leave the pianos like, you know staccato and I was like oh that sounds great we sent that to Pusha T long story Pusha T was like I don't want to do trap records before we even got a no from him I already sent it to Vince Staples his manager hit me back like 50 seconds later yo got it we're using it single thank you great but that sample that voice is a future it was a reference uh, I just wanted to you know say let's do like an aggressive Atlanta kind of record but I guess they heard it and said, no, nah, let's leave him on there. So um, Future's manager and Corey, who was Vince's manager, they, Future didn't know who Vince was. He's like, who is this? You know, 
Why would I clear this? And he explained to him who he was and the trajectory and just the way the brand is, and they cleared it, and Vince Staples' arrival, really. And they were really playing that record without telling us they were about to put it out low-key. It was hilarious. Uh, the first time we saw it was uh, South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. I just see all these kids going crazy online, and I'm like, what song are they talking about? And I played a video, and it's this song. But that was the beginning of... Not really the beginning, but like for Vince, that was the beginning of us doing records that were monumental for him. But what was that story about the woman in LA calling the radio station about being offended by lyrics and stuff? Oh, that was North North. Yeah. Oh, which is sampled, is it, is it yeah, from or which is the line that which is, is the repeated, line? Yeah, yeah, it's probably what he. What oh, he was the lady. There was a lady that Christian was, lady. Yeah, she heard North North on the radio, and. Uh, she was offended because of the lyrics. He was like, you know, vulgar lyrics at the time. Actually, Vince doesn't curse anymore because of that woman. So yeah, he doesn't curse on Big Fish. There's no clean version. So she actually made an effect. So I think because that video went viral of this Christian woman going crazy over North North, it projected, it kind of boosted everything else for him. So maybe that's what you're referring to. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking because of the line that he repeats from that song and so on. Oh. But I mean, it's curious that you're saying that he doesn't cuss anymore. No, yeah, at least on that song. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard him cursing any song. We have another song. Okay, no, no, he curses on that. He didn't curse on that song. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. All right, so they're still cussing. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably a little later, we could talk about the more details as he brought the session files. Yes. Um, I know we're doing a little bit bad for time, so mm. um, make a pick. You want to talk Drake, Jay-Z, Wale, or Jaden Smith? What was the first name? Uh, Drake, Jay-Z, Palm Cake, Wale. Uh, Forget about maybe that. Jaden? Yeah. That's boring. Jayden. Let's talk about Jaden. Let's talk about Jaden, because that's cool. an interesting story. So you're playing Monopoly a lot? <laughs> he is. I love sure. Monopoly. I that, used to. That song has a very funny origin. You can tell. Okay. That. So, Ghost, we produced that with uh, FNZ, who do a lot of stuff for ASAP Rocky and HWLS. <laughs> that was a Red Bull session. We made that beat in, in LA. Yeah, in LA. Ironically. Yeah. Red Bull Studios. We just signed our publishing deals, and um, we hit up Red Bull and said we need to record and just produced with other producers and we did three tracks or four and that was the one that stuck out to me. So the way we do sessions, we will just, if we're producing with other people or artists, it's kind of like we learned that from Pharrell. Um, you, you create songs, right? Like if I'm in with Ariana Grande, we make five songs. Maybe she'll use two, then we have three. But we don't let them go to waste. So when we had this song, the track itself, it was either going to be pitched to you know, uh, France Montana, ASAP Rocky, who we actually did picture to, or we're going to keep it as artists. Folks might get a little confused because you talk a lot about the brand and the product and um, yeah. like the mercantile aspect of it yeah. and think like, oh, hang on, do these guys think in spreadsheets? But I think there's aspects where it's pretty clear that you're not because um, there's also outside of the designing, which is a totally different uh, ball game another side to you, which is, I guess, the film things that you're trying to get into. And um, and there you're making sure people don't forget about the people, the, the giants whose shoulders we stand on. And yeah. I hear there's a project about uh, Benjamin Wright Jr. somewhere in the works. About what? Benjamin Wright. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, it, it was in works. Mm. Yeah, it's before, edit. before we left LA, yeah. 
Um, I started to work with, um, I got introduced to Benjamin Wright, who's, uh, he's a string conductor. He's, um, he did Michael Jackson Rock With You and Don't Stop. And then he did all of Justin Timberlake stuff, except Cry Me a River. He did everything else. And the funny thing is his name is Benjamin Wright and he lives in the valley in LA. And we went to his house and then this, um, she's Chinese, this Chinese African-American woman comes to the door. We're like, oh, we're at the wrong house. Looking for a white dude named Benjamin Wright. She's like, this is the house. Because <laughs> he's black, he's African-American. He's from Mississippi. He was able to dodge the Vietnam War in an unfortunate way, but his story is just crazy. No one knows who he is. He signed to Quincy Jones Publishing, and we just thought we should do a documentary on him. So we started to put that together. We were working with... Um, What's that production company? God, what's that name? It was a production company. Truly, oh, yours, yours truly. Yours truly. I don't truly, know. If yours truly. Yeah. Really cool production company out of LA. But um, when I moved, I kind of started, moved to Berlin and kind of started doing other stuff. And I left other people to do that and they ended up not doing it. They ended up kind of not Flash getting along. Yeah. So, so maybe we could revisit it. Yeah, but, but we're working um, on an anime. We're actually now. working on an anime so that's the cartoon series. That's something we're doing for yeah, ourselves. Right. Thirty minute episode. And we're scoring the whole thing. Yeah. Right. What's Everything that? goes back to us just doing the whole music. Yeah. <laughs> we just want to score it ourselves. Right. When is that gonna see the light of day? Hopefully well, two thousand twenty. Yeah. I wouldn't say nineteen, two thousand twenty. But there'll be a trailer of sorts that kinda of will be floating around end of this year, maybe. But yeah. You just mentioned another um person you seem to be a fair be doing a fair bit of work with um, Vic Mensa. Ah, man, Vic. So this generation of artists now, I can name 10 artists that were influenced by us without us even realizing it. Some of them know us personally. Chance the Rapper's whole, his visuals, the album cover all came from a kid that, okay, can I tell that story real quick that we can, you understand Vic, why I'm saying this? So Go Link, SZA, Chance the Rapper, Vic Mensa, Vince Staples, all these people kind of link back to us, like, like uh, inspiration-wise. So Vic Mensa introduced Chance to our music. Vic has always been a fan, but we never met him. He's just With his old group, Kids These Days? Yeah, Kids These Days. So we just, he's always like rooting for us when we were back in New York. So we had an album cover called The Decadence, and the kid that drew it, I worked with him when we were 18, uh, when we did The Decadence, which was probably whatever, 15 years later. That album cover is what Chance saw and said, yo, I want the guy that drew that to do my artwork, which is now all his merch, the acid rap cover, all of that. So Vic is responsible for kind of getting the kids, the youth in Chicago to understand who we were musically. Uh, so whenever we would meet Vic, um, it was always love. We worked on his first mixtape, the inner, inner tape, I think it was called, um, before he had his big break. And we just he's always been like the, the little homie that's just always active with Chicago artists. And we have a new song called Drippin' Summers with Little Dragon that um, he wanted to be on, so you know he's on that. So now we're kind of doing a bit more work together, but he's a dear friend and just fellow African. He's half Ghanaian, so it's always good to work with Vic. You know, there seems to be a bigger breed of artists in um, Chicago now than, let's say, bef uh, that have like a, a national and global role in the hip-hop world 
way more than before good music existed, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Even before good music, I mean, Lupe Fiasco was big in the city. Like, he was... And before him was Twister, um, Crucial Conflict. Do or Die. Do or Die. Psychodrama. Yeah, but the, I think... Lupe probably made the biggest impact because his music sounded more like what they were doing in the East Coast. So, yeah, yeah, definitely before good music. Good music is kind of like that kind of made the city make sense musically. Yeah, it was it, a bit more organized. You can see yeah, label, okay. artist, artist, produce, like it was yeah. a structure. Before it was like really the West Side, now that I think about it. It's really it. the West Side of Chicago making all the yeah, music. Yeah, Twister, Do It Down, Christian Conflict, all those guys are from the West Side. That's why the sound was like that. Lupe's from the West Side too. Right, Lupe, yeah. How's the process different when you have something like that in mind compared to, I don't know, getting something for Wale in? Uh, in what sense? Just like when, when you produce the actual track. Mm -hmm. Well, the Wale song was a beat that we had around. It was a Christian Rich beat for our project. We had that beat around. That was actually the original beat. That beat was supposed to be on um, Earl Sweatshirt's album. The label really wanted him to use it. He didn't use it because it was too pop for him. And then somebody else picked it. Except Rocky and Swiss Beats. Except Rocky and Swiss Beats. They yeah, had a song to it that was crazy. I heard he played it for me. It was dope. Yeah. But, and Nicki um, Minaj was supposed to do it, but she didn't do it. So then we ended up, so, Wale ended up using it. Yeah, Wale um, was really apt. He, was, he really wanted to use it, so we let him use it. But with Wale, it's, it's us as producers, so it's a little different when you do that. But this is like our own song. So we're curating exactly who we want on that beat, how we want it to sound, and how we want the song to come out. So it's two different processes as far as the um, when it's our own project and when it's um, someone else's for their album. So just two different processes. Yeah, because you can tell it's like melodically and harmonically, it's a very different yeah. thing than, yeah. than all the Earl stuff, for example. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nowadays, I mean, we've always been super into melodies and chords and all that, but we just happen to work with a lot of um, rappers. So it's been hard for people to know that we really get into all those dreamy places. So, What's the story with that thing on Instagram, that video? Oh, Will. Yeah. Uh, Smith. So that's why we were in Budapest for five days. Um, Will wanted us to come out to uh, record. We did a whole bunch of songs. Um, he was doing something out there and obviously we went there for five he days. He talks about it. He's shooting a movie. He was shooting a movie. Yeah, he was shooting a movie and we just got in the room, starstruck. I was probably starstruck for a few hours. Um, couldn't really work. He had to take over because it was kind of like he was treating us like his little brother so he was just telling us mad information. It's just super cool. And we used the information to make the song. So he was just like, I want to make new songs and I want this idea and that idea. And we just started feeding him beats and Will writes. Like he really writes. Like he just, he'll just sit down and be like, oh yeah, I got to rap to that. And he'll just go in, boom, got his song. And yeah, we just developed a relationship with him. And he was like, yo, I'm going to use one of these songs. And we didn't really get a warning. It was more like, 10 seconds before you put on Instagram. Yeah, I'm putting this on Instagram. I'm going to add your name. But I kept egging him on to put that song out because he had a line in the song that said um, something about um, LeBron. LeBron leaving Miami. Yeah, yeah. And it's then, a good line, though. And then once LeBron went to L.A., I was just like, yo, you should put that out and just say Cleveland instead of Miami. Miami. Yeah. So I wrote that one word, Cleveland. Did you get writer's credits for that? 
Yeah, we always get writers. Always. Credit. Yeah, but I mean, on that, on his kind of, could sort you out. But that that song is dope just because um, it is the one song he actually sat down and wrote. He had it pre-written already. And yeah. He just knocked it out. And we weren't supposed to use the beat because it's just a loop. It's a sample. And we did like a bunch of other versions, really trapped out, but because he wanted something like Ghost, but he ended up going with that um, Gary Glitter vibe. Gary Glitter vibe, yeah. Yeah, it's a vibe. 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 Gary Glitter vibe. G Gary, y'all know who Gary Glitter is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're not. We're just gonna talk about the music with him. Right. Just leave it's it the there. Vibe. Uh -huh. um, but how does that feel? I mean, it's like obviously Will was always in a very particular place in, in hip hop culture, mm -hmm. but a lot of our generation grew up listening to Summertime. Yeah. Yep. At the same time, seeing him on TV clowning, yeah. and then like seeing him clowning on the big screen and right. blockbuster movies, yeah. and then he tries to compete on a beat with his son. Like, <laughs> nah, he's, he can't yeah. compete with his son. He was the first rapper to ever win a Grammy. That's it. Hey, this is Jordan Rothline again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a little bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and events. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Finally, there's a whole world of other great music programming like this to check out at redbullradio.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>